Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Needham, along with my wonderful wife, Janet, and we are streaming at an unusual hour for us on a Monday um, to make accommodations for our guest and, we are guest, and we are super excited to have Alan Donovan on. He is actually has an Instagram uh, following uh, called Father's Lives Matter, and he also has a podcast and I was introduced to him through my brother, Shane Needham. Thank you. And we are going to be discussing the importance of a father's life, uh, of fathers in their children's lives. And also, since we are, Health Solutions is in our name, we're going to be focusing on how that keeps them healthier. And this is not a podcast to talk bad about women or mothers at all. This is a podcast to talk about the importance of fathers in children's lives. So Alan, welcome to our show. Hey guys, thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, thank you for being on and tell us a little bit about your background. Well, um, I'm a single dad raising a 13-year-old by myself. Um, like a lot of single fathers today, uh, you know, I'm a product of the family court system. You know, I went into the family court system being very naive, thinking that, you know, it's the court system, you know, where justice is supposed to prevail. You know, that, that's what we're all told. You know, Lady Justice is blind. I walked through the courtroom doors. I had a lawyer. I couldn't be further from the truth. Um, I, I got my butt kicked, basically. And that kind of started my journey in the the father's you know father's rights in the family court universe and uh, after that i decided to represent myself and i had started the instagram account father's lives matter when it originally started it was um kind of a springboard for my own journey because i didn't know what was going on i didn't know what i was doing you know i was just a, a single dad that was missing my son and i thought okay i'm gonna start you know, writing all this stuff down, kind of journaling and stuff, and it started getting traction, okay? At the same time, I taught myself family law in two different states, Montana and Kentucky. Six months later, I had um, my first court case by myself in Kentucky. I rolled into the courtroom with 13 binders representing myself. The judge looked at me and said, Mr. Donovan, where's your lawyer? I said, well, I am my lawyer. He looked at, he kind of looked at me up and down, you know, kind of like, is this, is this guy for real? Is he serious? And he said, okay, well, Mr. Donovan, you understand that you cannot claim a mistrial, you know, because you are representing yourself. And I said, I understand that. And he goes, well, are you ready to do this? And I said, yeah, I'm ready to do this. And I walked out of the courtroom with 50-50 custody after that. And before he, before he made his decision, he goes, Mr. Donovan, do you know anybody down here? I said, no. I said, you know, I, I, I know my son, my son's mother and her parents, but that's all, that's anybody I know down here. He goes, have you ever been here? I said, no, I've never been here. And he goes, you came here by yourself, right? And I said, I did. And he goes, so you traveled 2,000 miles to represent yourself to fight to be in your son's life. Am I correct? I said, yeah, you're correct. He goes, well, I got to tell you, in the number of years I've been doing this, you're the most prepared father I've ever seen walk through those courtroom doors. He goes, I'm going to go ahead and grant 50-50 custody. And he goes, Mr. Donovan, you're planning on moving down here, right? And I said, yeah, because at the time, I was planning on moving down there to be closer to my son because 2,000 miles, that's an impossible distance to go when you're trying to stay a part of your child's life. And he goes, well, I'll tell you what, when you move down here, you come back and see me and I'll make you the custodial parent, which that's a huge thing. Judges don't do that. You know, and, and so I was blown away and I went back home. And so, you know, then started the process of, you know, busting my butt, paying child support, you know saving every little bit of money I had so I could go and see my son because at the time I only had a month that I could spend with my son during the summers from June to July okay to fly down there to get a hotel to get a car to fly back you know each time was anywhere upwards of four to six thousand dollars a trip you know realistically with airfare and all that stuff well I found myself back in court a couple years later 
And I walked through the doors, and the judge greeted me by name. He remembered me. (laughs) I was in court for 20 minutes, and I walked out of court having full custody of my son. We were back up here in Montana three days later. And so the whole time, Father's Lives Matter had been growing, and I had been accumulating followers. And, you know, I was doing little tutorials here and there, you know, stuff that I had learned by, you know, teaching myself family law and passing it on down to these guys. But I had this moment where I had to decide what was I going to do with Father's Lives Matter. You know, my war is done. I have custody of my son. The whole point of this page was because of that. So I can quit this page. I can give this page to somebody else. I can delete the page altogether and get on with my life. Or I can take the knowledge that I learned and everything that I went through, and I can start passing it down to these other guys. And so that's what I did. I started passing it down and it quickly morphed into a situation where I had to then start doing something else because posting on Instagram is great. You can do, you know, you can do little DIY things, you know, hey, how do I file against my attorney? How do I do all these different things? Which is great, but I had fathers asking me for more. So I was like, okay, let's do a podcast. So I started doing a podcast. I I created the father's truth. Because fathers, their voices are not heard. Let's be real here. Nobody in society wants to touch a single father in their story with a 10-foot pole. They just don't want to do it. They're not, they're not interested when it comes to hearing about a father and everything that they've dealt with. Society is so ingrained that we lean towards motherhood. Motherhood this, motherhood that. When it comes to fathers, nobody wants to do that. Because if you look at you know, social media... That's a big one. You look at how fathers are portrayed on social media, and you look at mainstream media. Look at The Simpsons. Look at how The Simpsons portray Homer Simpson. He's an idiot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look mm-hmm. at Family Guy. Peter Griffin is a buffoon. That's how fathers are portrayed. Okay. Meanwhile, you look have fathers word, uh, killing themselves. Yeah. The, one of the things that stopped us watching network TV yeah. was um, what's the one with Kevin James in it, where he's oh, the, uh, the King of Hearts driver. Yeah, King of Hearts. I mean, look look at yep. look at how they make him look like a bumbling idiot, you know. Yep. And, he, and you know, and his and his wife runs the show and talks down to him, and and that's what we're supposed to accept. Yep. And and so I got to the point where I was like, okay, nobody listens to these fathers. And I looked at my own situation when I was going through it. I had nobody to talk to, you know, nobody who understood the situation that I was dealing with. And I thought. Okay, so if I start a podcast, I can give these guys a platform to tell their stories, to have their voices heard with no judgment whatsoever. You know, I'm just the guy listening to what you're telling me about your story. And I have the ability to do that. And I started doing that. And the first, the very first interview I had was a guy named Leon from New York City. He was a single father, came on. He had been alienated from his children. He had two girls. He found out that his youngest daughter had stage four cancer. On Facebook, a family tagged him in this and said, hey, did you know this is going on with Malia? He didn't know, okay? He found out his daughter died on Facebook from this cancer. And the the mother was alienated, was playing games. He and his family went to view her body And this is how I found him. I was actually tagged in hundreds of his reels. And all it was was it was a a video in a funeral home in NYPD, a group of NYPD officers standing in front of a casket. Well, it was his daughter's casket. And his daughter's mom and her family was surrounding the casket, so him and his family could not see it. That was the first guest that I had on The Father's Truth, telling his story. And since that time, I've done about 300 different interviews with fathers, not just in the United States, but around the world. It's a, it's a global thing. And each one of these stories has been horrible, talking about fathers that have not been allowed to see their kids, fathers that have had their children essentially held for ransom, you know, in the form of child support and all these other things. And it's just kind of ballooned from there to, you know, that's kind of what I'm known for now is the father's truth and giving fathers a voice to tell their stories. Well, thank you for that, um, Alan. And and thank you for doing what you're doing, because it's uh, it's definitely an uphill battle. I will say that, 
you know, when we posted the preview for this show, um, <laughs> we, we got some, we got some interesting engagement, um, yes. not surprisingly. Um, and, and again, we're not talking bad about mothers at all. We no. just want to talk good about fathers. And I, I'm going to let Janet speak a little bit because she was fortunate enough to have a very active father in her life. Her parents um, stayed married and her dad was very instrumental and um all you know in all of their lives yep. and and it, it, it even shows to this day um some of the decisions she makes is is basically because of him so janet will you tell us a little bit about how your dad um yeah. definitely um was instrumental in in shaping your life i will and, and in fact you know this really kind of saddens me that we are even discussing the fact that fathers are getting this rap because um, my dad was super important. His name was Ernest. I knew him as Ernie dad. Um, but he, he was a rancher, a farmer. He broke horses. He, he was, he was a very, uh, very gentle man. Um, he started his family a little bit later in life, but in his younger part of his life, his father died when he was 10 tragically. And there were still kids at home. And my dad was the only boy left at the house. And so he helped take care of his mother and his sisters with, you know, the help of the community, but it wasn't easy. And he raised six children. And I will tell you, he never raised his hand and was never mean. And in fact, many times I look back at how he addressed things and he was amazing. I would cry as a young child if I couldn't go with my father because he took us he took us out as many times as he could doing his chores or activities. You know, he always took us out uh, at least once a year to camp or do something fun with the family. I mean, he was not a boring individual. In fact, I remember many times sitting on his knee as he would play the guitar and sing to us. And he, he, he came home from work. And if you can imagine the hours that he would put in, and never once did I see him being angry about us crawling all over him, being happy to see him. And so it kind of breaks my heart to hear this because even now to this day, I wish I had the phone call. Jenny, I wish you could come over for a cup of coffee and we could talk. And I look at the decisions I've made in my life and how many times he's impacted me, even when he's not here anymore. And to take that away from somebody is really sad. I mean, to me, it's it's just, it, it's tragic. Because um, I loved my father and one day I'll see him again and I truly miss him and he's been gone for about 30 years. Thank God I have somebody to talk about for that many years. I mean, I tell my friends that have lost their parents in the recent years, thank God you have somebody to mourn for and miss. And the thankful thing that I have about my father was this also, as a teenager, when I was disrespectful to my mother, he would pull me aside gently, calmly say, I love your mother and we're just not gonna talk to her like that. That was it. And it was loud. He didn't have to scream. He didn't have to yell. He just got my attention and said, well, we're just not gonna do that. He sounds like a great man. He was, and you know, he wasn't perfect. So I'm not painting, I'm not painting the portrait of a perfect man. But, you know, I look at that and think, man, he lost his dad at 10 and I got to have him growing up. I was blessed. And to say that we are taking this away from other people to me is really sad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so Janet, tell us some things that your dad um, did with you that, you know, your mom might not have been capable of. Nothing against your mother. No. And there are women that can do this. I, I understand that. But for example, I learned how to drive from my dad. He was very calm. I mean, I was in a field or a pasture driving with my father before I could even see over the hood, perhaps. You know, I mean, it was that silly. I mean, I rode horse with him. I remember him many times helping me with animals. He was amazing. Um, my mother helped him, but it was, it was different, you know? And many times I even would be woken up during the night if he had a calf that needed to be, or a cow that needed to calf, and I would help assist him. And, you know, those are treasured memories, but also the fact that 
how he presented himself. I mean, how he fixed equipment. I personally did not get into that realm, but I mean, he taught my brothers things, how to change their oil, how to do many things in their life. And then, I mean, I, I guess I could keep going, but the biggest thing that I think was he was always available. Um, there were times even, um, I was thinking about this today, where when I would play sports, men in our community would be out in the farm because I was raised in a very rural area in North Dakota. Those men would be working, but many of them, including my father, would show up at the last maybe quarter, last few minutes of the game and watch their kids finish out the game. After they spent all day from the time they got up in the morning till then. And you know, we knew that was important, right? They couldn't be there the whole entire time, but when they could, they were. Um, I don't know, riding horse, driving, even even to back up and say during our family when we had a shift and and um, my mother got pregnant when she was in her 50s, it wasn't like expected. My mother went back to school. He never said, this is your mom's job or this is your job. It was whoever needed to do the laundry, whoever needed to do whatever. It was a partnership and they worked hard together. So many times we went to the grocery store even. My dad had the list and we went together. It wasn't mom's job. His It was the family's job. Like everybody worked together. And I never heard, yeah. that's just for women. That's just for men. I mean, there wasn't, that, that, that talk wasn't there. You respected one another. So what are your comments well, about? That's how it should be. Right. You got anything to add to, add to that or any stories to add to that, Alan? So for me, it was a little bit different. Um, ironically enough, my dad was a deadbeat dad. My mom is who raised me. So when I was in third grade, um, my mom and I got in a really severe car wreck coming home from school. She was paralyzed from um, the neck, or not neck, mid chest down, because she broke her neck in five places and her back in three places. Wow. And, you know, she raised me and she taught me everything I know about being a parent. You know, the, the love, the understanding, the compassion, the empathy, mm-hmm. the patience. You know, she taught me all that stuff. So it's it's funny to see where I'm at now and fighting for father's rights when I didn't have my own father in my life. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the big reasons why I do it, because I can remember when mm-hmm. my parents were in the middle of their divorce you know, I was sitting in my dad's truck crying and I swore up and down that I would never do this to my children if I had children when I got older. I would always be there for them. I would fight for them. I would die for them. And so, you know, that coupled with the type of woman my mom was pushes me to do what I do for fathers, you know, because I wanted I wanted to be sure my son had everything that I did not have growing up. Wow, that's a that's a powerful story. Yeah, you know that you do what what you do, considering you, you know you grew up with. You, did you even know your dad? I knew him. It was one of yeah. those things where. So I have three older sisters, and he was an incredible father when they were growing up. It just so happened when my parents got divorced was you know when I was six or seven years old, and he just he just kind of fell off the parenting wagon and kind of went and did his own thing. And there was, you know, there was a five or six year point where, you know, I lived literally a mile from him and I wouldn't hear from him. You know, it was like one, I would get a call every six months, you know, just kind of checking in, you know, and he was the kind of father that swore up and down he cared, but when push came to shove, he wasn't ever really there. I mean, I blew out my knee my senior year in high school and I had to have knee surgery. And my mom couldn't take me. And so I called my dad to take me. He wanted me to pay him gas money to take me in there so I could get my surgery done. Wow. Yeah. So. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So how did that change your life? Especially as it, I think, I think when it's, um, and, I, and I'll let Janet comment on this too, but I, and I'll comment on for myself is when my parents got divorced, I was a very young teenager um and like 12 or 12 or 13 i think i was 12 actually and it really started hitting me that when i didn't have a dad when i became a older teenager so when i was 15 or 16 and i hadn't seen my dad in three or four years 
And, you know, as, as a boy, you start becoming a man and you start, you know, wanting to do things that your mom can't necessarily do. I mean, my, my, my brother and I were very active. We, we, you know, we rode dirt bikes, we water skied and, and those are typical. I know there's exceptions to the rule, but those are typically things that dad teaches dads teach their boys and do with their boys. Um, and so we were missing out on that. So fortunately we were able to get back in touch with him when we were in our, I think almost 16 years old, we couldn't quite drive yet. And, um, you know, and then we were able to do those, those activities again. And I think, you know, when our boys got to be the same age, it was kind of like Janet tells a story that, you know, she had to stop playing baseball with our kids when they mm. turned to be teenagers because oh, they just threw too hard. I couldn't catch up. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. and I had four brothers, so I learned early on I'm not going to kill myself. It's, it's her turn down. <laughs> yep. So, so go ahead, Alan. So for me growing up like that, it was tough because obviously, you know, my dad wasn't around for me to learn how to do those things. Um I had a lot of friends. I had a very big friend group and it was kind of one of those things where, you know, their dads stepped in and taught me these things, taught me how to do these different things, you know, because my mom physically wasn't able to, you know, but I, I had incredible friends, you know, my best friend, Matt, you know, his, you know, I call him my brother. Okay. We weren't, obviously we weren't biological brothers, but that relationship and that bond was so close that, his mom and dad were like my second mom and dad. And I would spend a lot of time with him and his dad would teach me how to do things. You know, I learned how to drive. His dad taught me how to drive. That's really cool. Yep. Yeah. So I, yeah. You know, I was very fortunate to have that type of tight relationship with friends. Yeah. yeah. Which also hits on the point that, um, you know, having a father or father figure in your life at that time was important. It didn't necessarily have to be a biological dad, but having a father figure in, in yep. your life. And I will say, you know, there are, I know of a handful of people at least that that, that has happened with. And, and that's, you know, and um, that, that goes along with them for the rest of their lives. You yeah, know, I, does. I, I could talk about myself a little bit, but I have to share a story about I have a brother who's not quite two years younger than me. And Jack was in trouble a lot. Got in trouble at school. He didn't always keep his grades up. He was such a likable kid, though. Everybody liked him, you know, everybody liked Jack. Um, but as an adult, I remember him telling me about, you know, my dad really loved me. And I'm like, oh, because I'm thinking how many times you got in trouble, how many, you know, I mean, just in my brain, I'm thinking about this going, yeah. oh, you, you know. But his side of it was this. My father never gave up on me. No. He, he hunted. He fished. He helped him drive. You know, all this. But the biggest thing that my dad did for him was, your grades aren't good. You're not playing sports. Yeah. And the coach would come over because he lived next door. And he'd say, yeah, we need Jack to play. In the, you know, blah, blah, blah. My dad said, well, my son needs to put food on his table. And there wasn't an argument is you're just out of sports until you get your grades up period yeah, that's well, important it is and he's the only kid in my family out of six that has a master's degree and he's doing great but when as an adult he's telling you about how important it was about his dad not giving up and as kids we we're thinking oh just be quiet kid haven't you learned yet? You know, and right. over and over and over how many times my dad had to just keep that line. And it's like, what he speaks of his dad today is my dad never gave up on me and loved me. Yeah. Plain and simple. That That is a great story. Um, your dad was an incredible man for sure. So Alan, tell us a story that you have, uh, since health solutions is in our name or health is in our name with health solutions. Tell us a story that you have about how a dad has, you know, inspired his kids to be healthy and that might not have happened without the father in their life. Oh man. Let me, give me just a second here to scroll back through everything. Um, as you're thinking, I can tell my story. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so about 13, oh yeah, about 13 years ago, a little over 13 years ago, I I was 
um, quite a bit overweight, 60 pounds heavier. And I, since my second son had been born, he was about nine or 10. I was not being as healthy as I used to. I wasn't going to the gym anymore. And I just let myself go. And I decided I was going to make some changes because I decided as my kids got older, I didn't want my, I wanted to be able to be active with my kids and do things with my kids. And um, so I went ahead and I lost weight. And my youngest son was um, at the time overweight. And I really couldn't say anything to him considering I was already overweight. So um, I lost some weight and I gave it a few years. Well, and then I talked to Janet and um about his weight and janet wasn't really receptive at the time i just let it go and uh a few years later um you know i i, I got an opportunity to, to talk to jordan about it and you know he was actually he knew there was a problem and he actually wanted to make some changes so we set him out on a plan and you know he ended up losing Oh, you know, he was 10. He lost about 37 pounds. And, you know, this is 13 years ago. And now he's, you know, 21 years old and he's, you know, he's fit. He's, he lifts weights. He's, he knows how to eat. And, um, of course, Janet went through a health journey also. And I think that, you know, that journey of our whole family changing our habits would have never happened if I hadn't have done that, um, yeah. you know. And so, and I look at both my kids now, and both my boys are very, very healthy, um, you know, eat well and uh, active. So, um, but I don't know if that would have happened if I wasn't active in their lives. So one thing I can tell you is there was a, a guy that I knew that was not with his mo his child's mother. And it was kind of one of those things where it was a surprise kind of thing. Hey, you're going to be a dad. And I knew him through work. And he was he was probably the most unhealthy person I knew in how he eat it, how he ate, you know, lack of exercise. I mean, there was substance abuse in there. And mm -hmm. he found out he was going to be a father. And, you know, at first he wasn't really into the idea of being a father but once his son was born he saw his son and it it completely changed him i mean he became a different guy that next day all of a sudden stopped eating all the junk and everything stopped all the substance abuse went to aa checked himself in and six months within six months you wouldn't even recognize him looked like a totally different guy i bet you he probably lost 50 or 60 pounds because he, he was a big dude. You know, his three meals a day were McDonald's, Burger King, and Wendy's. And and that's how he lived. You know, he was a partier. He stopped all that. Cut it cold. And I was talking to him. I said, so what, what brought all this on? He goes, you know, Alan, the first time I got to hold my son, he said, that was it. He said, you know, I realized looking at this little baby that, you know, the person I was is not the person I wanted my son to grow up knowing. I didn't want my son growing up and saying, that's my dad, and pointing over at this wreck of a human. <laughs> and that, that was all the motivation he needed to change his life, to do a complete 180 in his life. And I still run into him every now and again, and he's kept it. He's kept it. every time. It seems like every time I see him, the guy looks better, actually. It's kind of surprising. Yeah. Well, I know, I know my kids definitely inspired me. I didn't want to be... You know, I wanted to be healthy, not only healthy to just live, you know, for years later, but also to be to be healthy enough to enjoy activities with them. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's, ahead, a, that's, well, a, that's a big driving I, factor. Yeah. Right. I think that um, for both sides of it, this is true that, you know, many times once that child is here, it's like your life changes. And so it's 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 something to say that. You know, we always know that an infant does not thrive without that bond, without the mother. But I also think children thrive more with both. I think having those connections to both parents, if it's possible. You know, I realize well, there's a duality. Yeah. Right. There's a duality that takes that. place. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. And supporting one another if it happens. I mean, that's, 
I think that's the beauty of maybe my childhood wasn't that my parents were perfect in any way. They all still, I mean, both, you know, with kids together, my siblings, we can talk about what was wrong, but the good thing was, is they worked as a team and they didn't tear each other down. And I think, in, especially in front of your children and, you know, for, for a father to speak into someone's life. And I mean, you know, I'm 56 years old and I still hear the words that my dad has said to me. Of course, my mom as well, but those words still carry throughout my life. And spending that time with him was a true blessing. And to take that away from other children or other people, even as adults, I think it's sad. I, I think yeah. parents that don't speak to their adult children, it's sad. It, yeah, it is. I know I had... I had a guy on my show a couple of weeks ago who discovered that the man that he thought was his biological father was not. Mm. He found out that it was somebody else and that his mom had had an affair, you know, and the resulting pregnancy was him. And he had no idea about it. And, you know, he was telling me kind of what it did to their immediate family and what it did to his relationship with his mom. I mean, it just torpedoed it. Yeah. Because of that, there was no trust. There was none of that stuff. Wow. Yeah. So, what what's, what's your what's your goal, Alan, um, with Fathers' Lives Matter? So, my goal is to get the laws changed to make the laws more agreeable to both sides. Because right now, as it stands, when a father walks into the courtroom, he's got a target on his back. He has to prove that he is a good parent to everybody in that room. Whereas when the mom walks through the door, it's just automatically a given that she's the better parent. You know, the court's motto is what's in the best interest of the child. That's what their motto is. You know, that's it. That's how the judges supposedly make their rulings, but we don't see that. We don't see in what's in the best interest of the child. And truly that's what it needs to be. Both parents need to be looked at and judged the same because right now the way it's the way it is it's just not applicable you know the way the court system looks at that so i want to get i you know in an ideal world i would love to have child support thrown out altogether, um and make it so it's 50 50 custody from the get-go presumptive 50 50 custody that's what it needs to be you can know, we and, can we stand on that a little bit alan yeah yeah so I, I'm with you on the 50-50 custody. I, I think it should be automatic 50-50 custody um, unless proven otherwise. You'd have to prove mm -hmm. otherwise. Um, and the child support issue, I will say that I have come to, you know, change my opinion about child support. And um, I want to know what, you know, I want to know the facts of child support mm -hmm. and I want to know... Um, how the court systems are actually making money off child support. Um, yeah, I want you to tell us about that. And um, I'm kind of with you. If it's 50-50 custody, then why should there be child support? And I'm not saying that you know if you get a divorce, you know, divide your assets, all that. But if it's 50-50 custody, why should there really be child support? Well, and, and that's exactly it. There shouldn't be because 50-50 custody assumes, you know, when the child is with me, you know, I am paying for everything. When the child is with you, you're paying for everything, okay? That's the way it should be. It doesn't take into account that I have bills on my own. You know, I've got my rent, my mortgage, you know, my car note, groceries, utilities, all these other things that I have to pay for. But then I also have to pay child support to you to help you with, you know, they claim the child because child support, what it is, is to balance a child's life between both households. So if a child has a standard of living at mom's house or at dad's house, it's supposed to be the same at the other house. That's technically what the whole child support thing is for. Okay. Reality is that's not how it's used. We see way too many situations where mothers use child support as a slush fund to go get her hair done, her nails done, pay her car note, pay her utilities, all these other things. And the car note utilities, okay, yeah, that can kind of be argued that that's going in the child's best interest because this child obviously has to have a safe car to drive in and a roof over their head and so on and so forth. But if mom's working, what's mom doing with her money? You know, that, that's something that's never addressed. It's always, okay, well, you're the dad. You have to pay this child support, okay? When I went down this road, I had no idea 
the reality of child support. And a lot of times when I tell people this, it blows their mind and they're saying, oh, that, that, that can't be true. It's listed on the Social Security Administration website. If you scroll down to child support, it's like section four or five. It's laid out, bullet point. So basically, if I am paying, let's say $600 child support a month, for every one of those dollars that I pay, the federal government gives 66 cents back to the court system because I'm paying that child support. So automatically the court system gets a kickback for that child support. Okay, you take it a step further. That court and the child support enforcement in that state, they get bonuses. They get a number of different bonuses based off of the number of child support enforcement cases that are on the docket, the number of cases that are in the red versus the black, the amount of money that's owed. Gosh, there's like 15 different bonuses they get for child support. So basically what it does is it takes child support from being in the realm of balancing a child's life between both parents to a money-making system for the family court system. That's what it is. The child support system is a $211 billion a year industry. To put that in perspective, the NFL is a $50 billion a year industry. And child support makes $211 billion. That's, that's what they've recorded. I'm guessing it's probably a lot more than that when you figure in arrears and everything else. But it, I mean, basically what it comes down to, it, it turns the system into uh, basically racketeering is what it comes down to. Because if you don't pay child support or if you get behind on child support, you start getting arrears that you're never going to get out from under because those arrears build interest. They'll start taking your license. They'll take your private license. They'll take a CDL. They'll take a business license. They'll take your hunting and fishing license. They'll take your, you know, um, oh gosh, what else do they take? They basically take everything that they can take with you ending up finally in jail or prison. And child support doesn't stop then. Stop. It just keeps racking up and keeps building interest. So if you go to child, if you go to prison for child support for say five years and you get out, you are going to be so many thousands of dollars in arrears you'll never get out you will be financially destitute you can't file bankruptcy on child support correct no you cannot yeah nope it sticks with you forever you know and it's gotten to the point where now um you can't license a car in some states if you owe child support because when you give them your license and they put you into the database all the databases are all connected that's going to pop up and so they're not going to allow you to license a car, not going to allow you to get insurance. I mean, they seize your bank accounts. They will freeze your bank accounts. They will garnish your checks. I mean, it's very, very devious and evil, the things they do. Well, and the courts actually have an incentive to try to get someone to pay as much child support <laughs> as possible because then absolutely. they're going to make more money. I mean, yeah, th- th- absolutely. That the more is- money. Yeah, the more money they can charge you. Yeah, the more money they can charge you on child support, the more money they are going to make down the way, you know, from the kickbacks, the bonuses, everything that goes into child support. So, you know, realistically, when you turn that back around and you look at, you know, remember earlier when I told you the courts look at it as what's in the best interest of the child and how they make decisions? It's not in what's in the best interest of the child. It's what's in the best interest of the court. What's going to make the court the most amount of money? And that's not fathers having custody, you know, because realistically, when you get right down to it, moms don't bring any money to the table in this kind of scenario. It's fathers that bring the money to the table. Because when you look at a situation where a a father has to pay child support and then you look at a mom who has to pay child support and similar, if not identical situations, the father's going to pay at least three to four times more than what mom's going to pay in child support. Well, and isn't it true in some states, you know, you talk about, you kind of mentioned uh, lifestyles Mm -hmm. are supposed to be similar in each household. Isn't it true that in some states like California, um, there's there's some people that pay $20,000 a month in child support Mm -hmm. because they they make a good income. Um, I can specifically think of some athletes that have done that, like NBA stars. Mm -hmm. And... The thing that I have a problem with is, you know, the average MBA career is three and a half, four years. Yeah. So what happens 
when this guy loses his job in four years, because the statistics say he's going to, mm-hmm. and then he's got the $20,000 a month child support bill that he can't pay. Yeah. How fair is that? It's not. It, it, it's not fair whatsoever. And you brought up the perfect example of it is you look at, you know, look at the NBA players, the NFL players and actors, and you look at what they are charged per month for child support. I mean, I've seen some of these situations where Kanye West, perfect example, $200,000 a month between child support and alimony. Okay. $200,000 a month. I'm sorry, but in what world does it take $200,000 a month to raise a child? It doesn't, you know, and then you break it down as to what that court is making off of that $200,000 a month that he's paying. That's why it's so high, you know, and the other part of the problem with child support, going back to us, you know, common Joes that have to pay child support, every state computes child support different. Every state has a different formula for how they come up with what is owed in child support, which is ridiculous. You know, if you're going to charge child support, it should be the same across all states. Every state should look at the same formula and apply that formula, but they don't. Every state does it differently. Montana does it different than Idaho. Idaho does it different than Washington. They all have their own way of doing it. Well, and especially if the feds are involved in getting a piece of the and giving them a piece of the action, it should be a little bit more consistent across the states. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it should. and there should not be bonuses either. That's a huge thing. Why are there yeah. bonuses with child support? Come on. And isn't it true? I know when my parents got divorced, my dad would send my mom a monthly check directly to her. <laughs> and that is not true anymore, correct? You, you send child support through the courts. Okay, so here's the thing. You are supposed to pay child support through child support enforcement, um, basically through the court system. You know, most of the time you can get it set up so that it comes directly out of your paycheck. Uh, or you can do it like I did every time I got paid. I would I would call child support and I would pay over the phone. Okay. A lot of times fathers will screw up and just give them money directly without going through the court system. And just on, you know, like the memo line of the check, they'll say child support. Or they'll do, you know, like a money order. Or the big thing now is Venmo. That has come back so many times and bit so many fathers in the butt. Because the judge will look at it and go, hey, guess what? That's not child support. That's a gift. You didn't pay that through the state. We didn't get our money. They don't say that part of it. But it's implied that they didn't get their money. That's what's happening. Yeah. So it's a gift. And that's, that's also how these dads get nailed with arrears. If you've been doing that for five years... Yeah. And all of a sudden, mm-hmm. you know, she gets upset and goes, well, you know, Alan didn't pay me my child support this month. She can go down to child support enforcement and do that. And they'll pull it and they'll go, oh, Mr. Donovan hasn't paid five years of child support. That's $600 a month times five years. You know, you're now in arrears, what, six, $7,000? That happens so often to so many wow. fathers. I've seen NBA stars talk about that. You know, one guy in particular, he was just giving her money directly, and she got upset one day and turned him in child support, and he ended up owing like $150,000 in arrears because it didn't go through child support enforcement. It did not go through the state. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So as we wind this podcast up, Alan, I, I, first I want to thank you for doing what you do and, and fighting for fathers' lives because um, it's, it's so important to – to get this information out there. Um, I know it's a very touchy subject for a lot of people, but we need active fathers and mothers for that, for that matter in, in, um, in kids' lives. And, and in general, they're going to be healthier kids when that happens. So as we wind this podcast up, tell us what you have a passion for. Outside of father's rights? <laughs> yeah, or both, you know. I mean, obviously you have a passion well, obviously, for Well, obviously, you know, obviously... I'm always going to be an activist. I'm always going to be a voice for those fathers that don't have a voice. You know, I will be 90 years old and I will still be fighting for these guys. You know, I will always do that. That's, you know, a huge passion of mine. My other passion is my son. You know, he's he's my muse. He's why I did started doing all this stuff. Without him, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. Yeah. You know, and, and there's so much that I, I owe to my son. You know, I'm a photographer. I'm a huge photographer. 
you know, I'm I, I'm actually an award-winning photographer, and awesome. you know, I started doing that when I was I started doing that when I was going through the custody situation because I needed to find something where I could get out of this hugely negative bubble that dealt with the custody and all that, and I found photography. And I would literally go up into the woods on the weekend and I would do astrophotography. You know, I would find myself hiking in Glacier National Park at two or three o'clock in the morning, you know, to wow. these remote areas to do astrophotography. So those are my passions and I've passed on photography down to my son. I'm teaching him photography and, you know, he's turning into an amazing photographer himself. That's awesome. That's inspirational. And, you know, the sad part I think about it, Alan, of course, you, you know, you know, some of this is that um, I've heard fathers that wanted to fight for custody of their kids, um, but they either just ran out of energy or they ran out of money. And, And how many fathers were absent in their kids' lives because a mother alienated them and the court systems were just too expensive to go through the, go through the motions. I mean, I, yeah. I, that, that's got to happen quite often. And oh, we yeah. just call them, the system calls them deadbeat dads, but that's not yeah. always the case. No, and, and you know, in the time that I've been doing this, I've been doing this for almost a decade now. In that time, I have worked with thousands of fathers, not just in the United States, but around the world. And in that time that I've done, been doing this, I've encountered two guys that I would legitimately consider deadbeats, that were just trying to find a workaround to not have to spend money. Two guys. Yeah. Every other father I've ever dealt with, they just wanted to be a part of their children's lives. Right. And the court system was doing nothing to help them. And the other thing that I think that it's important to touch on, because this is a health podcast, is the mental health aspect. Mm-hmm. Family Absolutely. court is so phenomenally mentally and emotionally draining it's a meat grinder you know you have so many of these fathers that go into the family court system and it destroys them it spits them out they're broken they're homeless um suicide that's the reality for a lot of these fathers that go through the family court system i know i have been on the end of numerous suicidal phone calls and texts where these fathers are just they're done you know they for whatever reason they knew of me they called me to tell me that hey this is it you know, I had one guy, one Saturday a couple years ago, I got a text that said, hey, Alan, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. You know, I quit. You know, thanks for everything. And I got the text, and right away I knew, I didn't know who the number was from because my my number is on my social media. I make a point of putting that up there so that if, you know, you run into a situation where you need somebody to talk to, you can text me or call me. So I knew it was somebody that had seen that. I spent the next four hours chasing this guy down. I mean, I had to call law enforcement in California. You know, I figured out via his area code where he was, what county he was. And I finally got a hold of him, and he was a dad outside of San Diego. And he had been following me for years, and it just got to the point where he just, he couldn't handle it anymore. He couldn't afford his child support while paying his bills. He couldn't afford the court costs to keep fighting to be a part of his child's life. The mom had just gotten married, so that was putting extra pressure on him because all of a sudden, here's his son's new dad. We hear about that all the time, you know, and and he was just so emotionally distraught. He said, you know, I'm going to pick my son up tomorrow. We're going to go to breakfast. We're going to go to a movie, and then I'm going to park my truck on the train tracks, and I'm going to let a freight train hit me. And absolute panic on my part because I'm in Montana. You know, he's down there in California. What can I do? You know, and he told me that and then the phone click went dead. So I'm like, oh, my God, what do I do? You know, I'm trying to go through all these different steps and trying to explain to law enforcement who I am, how I know this guy and everything. And luckily, um, I even managed to find his ex-wife's phone number. And I had to call his ex-wife and be like, look, this is what's going to happen tomorrow. You need to be aware of this. You need to do something because your son is going to lose his father because he was so he was so convinced, and this is a very common thing that fathers come out of family court with, that they're not worth it. They're not worth being in their children's lives. They just get this mindset where they come to the conclusion that their children would be better off without them in their life. And that couldn't be further from the truth. And I was telling this gentleman that I was like, dude, 
you can't do this because every single every single lie that was told about you, if you do this, it becomes the truth. There's no take backs at that point. I said, I, you love your son. I can hear it in your voice. But is this the legacy you want to leave your son? Because if you do this, this is going to be the legacy you're giving down to him is that his father committed suicide. And I said, I guarantee you, this will screw up your son for the rest of his life. Thankfully, he didn't. I heard from him a couple years later, just out of the blue. He just decided to call me and said, hey, Alan, you know, this is so-and-so. You really helped me. He goes, I'm doing so much better. I have my own home now. You know, I have my own business. You know, I see my son all the time. You know, and just the, the, the thank you was a huge thing for me, you know, just knowing that, you know, I was able to talk this father off the ledge and help him. That's such a huge, important thing because they say, statistically speaking, up to 22 fathers a week kill themselves wow. based off of the family court system and the financial yeah. pressure and emotional pressure they go through. So that's such a huge thing, the mental aspect well, of this. The, the deck is stacked against them when it comes to the court system, that's for sure. It is. It absolutely is. And, you know, there's there's really not much in the way of social programs for fathers when you get right down to it. You know, yeah, for fathers point. that are in need, whether it's, you know, financial, emotional, mental, whatever the case may be, they just don't exist. You know, they're, they're out there for mothers and spades, but fathers, there's not much of anything out there for them. And these guys, they suffer. And a lot of times, most of them suffer in silence until uh, you know they can't take it anymore and then that's the end yeah. you know and their story's done and it should not be this way it's the you know it's 2023 you know we have to care about fathers fathers are just as important as mothers absolutely amen to that so tell us uh you got a big instagram following um tell us what your instagram handle is and how people can get a hold of you so it's Father's Lives Matter. Just go to Instagram and punch that in. Um, and there I am right there. Um, the easiest way to get a hold of me is shoot me a message. But just to let everybody know, I do get upwards of 100 to 150 messages a day from people. And it takes me literally weeks to get through them. You know, because I'm the only one doing this. I don't have a team that's answering, yeah. you know, DMs or posting for me or making content. It's, it's all me. So, you know, I try to get to everything as quickly as I can, but it, it does take time. You know, so if you don't hear from me right away, you know, just message me again. Awesome. Well, um, I appreciate you being on today. Our, our goal of this podcast is to educate and empower individuals. Um, and you definitely helped us do that today. So I really appreciate you, Alan. And we're going to be in your neck of the woods here in a couple of weeks. And we're going to have to look you up and hopefully we can meet you in person. Awesome. Well, yeah, definitely. Bears on me. Get a hold of me. And awesome. thank you for having me awesome. on. I, I really appreciate yeah. you guys. Thank you for fighting. Thank you so much. And Absolutely. Uh, listeners and viewers, thank you for tuning in today to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Tune in Thursday for our regularly scheduled midweek podcast, 8 to 9 a.m. Uh, Pacific Standard Time. And you don't want to miss out. Uh, Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thank you. <laughs>